welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Palmwood Podcast. True worship. Did you know that worship must include your times of leisure? Did you know that enjoying good food is an expression of worship and thanksgiving to God? Did you know that spending time with loved ones and friends is also an expression of worship and thanksgiving to God? It's true. Today, we're going to learn about worshiping God in leisure. While they don't actually say it this way, most people think that worship and other sacred things are very different than the stuff they do for fun. But in this week's message, we're going to see that all of it is worship. We're told by some of the great catechisms of the Christian faith that the chief end of humanity is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And today, we're going to see just how far that word enjoy goes. You might just be surprised. scripture reading today is coming from Nehemiah. It says in Nehemiah 8, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced a square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on the high wooden platform built on for that occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Metathea, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Mas, Mas, Masiah. <laughs> All right, sorry, people. On his left are Padiah and Mishael. Malkija, Hashem, wow, and a whole bunch of others. others. (laughs) Sounded like I was sneezing. (laughs) Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands. They responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, and a lot of other people instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, 
Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people who have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Amen. I know Michael thinks I do that to him on purpose. I really On purpose. I know. (laughs) I really don't. Amen. Celebration. I am um, a Heidelberg Catechism guy. Does anybody know what that means? There's a few that do. Uh, I grew up in a, uh, a church that was part of the German Reformed tradition, and so our catechism, the book that we used to, to teach us when we were young, uh, the, the questions, formative questions of the faith that I had to memorize and then go through confirmation class was out of the Heidelberg Catechism. Some of you may have grown up with the Westminster Confession, which is another catechism. <clears throat> when we talk about a biblical definition of leisure, um, may seem funny, but I want to turn to the Westminster Shorter Catechism to build our definition. How many of you can answer this question? What is the chief end of man? To worship God and to what? To enjoy Him forever. That seems a little... Interesting. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Chief end of man. So, the, so humanity's whole purpose, whole goal is a twofold purpose to worship God, give Him glory, and to enjoy Him for all eternity. Glorifying God, we, we've talked a lot about this in this series already and we will continue to in the weeks ahead. But what does it mean to enjoy God forever. I love that question. I've been, I've been noodling on that all week long this week. The Westminster Confession itself gives us guidance because in the answer to each of the questions of the catechism, there are referenced specific Bible verses that help to, to explain what the answer is. One of those verses about enjoying God forever is Psalm 73, verses 24 through 26. Listen. The psalmist says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. God becomes our chief desire. God is the source of our joy. God is the source of our strength. God is the source of our rest, our Sabbath. All that we desire and all that we enjoy is in and from Him. So let's define leisure. The, the definition, dictionary definition of leisure is the use of free time for authentic enjoyment. And that's, that's just a textbook definition. But do you catch it? Enjoyment. It's part of what God has called humanity to do in Him. I would submit to you that God has ordained and designed us so that our leisure is an expression of our life in Him. And dare I say it, really also an expression of worship. Great confusion today on the idea of, of leisure. God actually wants us to have leisure time. I think it's part of his design for Sabbath rest. Leisure time is in there. Clearly, he has a lot of festivals and feasts and celebrations throughout the Bible. That's, I mean, that's, that's celebration time. Michael pointed out Jesus' first miracle wasn't a healing or something else. It was to make a party keep going, right? Get more wine. And what did the steward say about the wine? After Jesus turned the water into wine, he says, man, you've saved the best wine for last. Nobody ever does that, right? And so it was, it was good wine. So today, we want to talk about what it looks like to actually worship in our leisure, right? Paul writes to the Corinthian church, whether you eat or you drink, words of celebration, do it what? Do it unto the glory of God. That's worship. Let's pray. Jesus, this has been a fun journey this week. I have learned a lot myself, and I have been blessed beyond measure at some of the things that you've shown me that I have missed these many years. And so, Father, as we talk about leisure, help us to get some clarity as to what you call leisure, because there is worldly confusion. But at the same time, help us to see that there is enjoyment, dare I use the word even fun, in celebrating you, in worshiping you, in thanking you, in praising you in living forever in your presence. Be our teacher and our guide. Remove whatever obstacles, sin, and other things may be in our way, distractions. If we came in with stuff on our minds, just shelve it, Lord, and help us to enter in so we can grasp this critical lesson today so that even in our leisure, we will worship you. To your glory we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. It seems incredibly appropriate to me that our lesson on understanding leisure would come from the book of Nehemiah. 
What's the book of Nehemiah most known for, those who are familiar with it? Building the wall. It's, it's a book about work, right? It's a book about strategy. So if you go to a Christian leadership conference, I will put money on somebody's going to teach out of the book of Nehemiah. Great leadership lessons. And it is. It's good stuff. But would you ever have thought the lesson about leisure would also come from Nehemiah? And it makes sense. You're going to see that it makes sense because leisure is our celebration of fruitful work that has been done. Now, uh, just because some of you may not be familiar with the whole story of Nehemiah, I want to I want to go back and just really quickly put this particular passage, Nehemiah chapter 8, into its context of the story because it is a wonderful story. So Israel has been taken into captivity. Nehemiah now is a slave serving the king, Artaxerxes. And he's got a very important role. He is the cupbearer for the king. Now, you know, if you don't realize what a cupbearer is, that sounds like, wow, he's the guy that gives wine to the king. Well, he is the guy that gives wine to the king, but guess what he has to do? He has to taste it first. Do you know why? In case it's poisoned. If somebody wants to try and kill the king, they're going to probably do it through his food. So Nehemiah, now as a slave, God has orchestrated him to become the most trusted person, probably. I mean, he's the, he's the last line of defense before the king. So if anybody was going, to a, was going to be able to actually poison the king, who would it be? It'd be the cupbearer. It'd be, the, it'd be in Nehemiah's position. So <clears throat> we aren't told this directly, but just by virtue of the context, we can, we can tell Artaxerxes, who was a very powerful king, really trusted Nehemiah. Therefore, they really knew each other. And as Nehemiah is thinking about Jerusalem, which is totally destroyed right now, it's in ruins, he's overcome with emotion, and the king realizes it. Again, I think it's because the king, they knew each other. They had a relationship. The king trusted him. And so when he saw Nehemiah being upset, he wanted to know why. And that's how this whole story gets started. Nehemiah has an unction of God to return to Jerusalem with a crew and to rebuild the city and the wall. King Artaxerxes, in his dialogue with his trusted servant, says yes. And he not only gives Nehemiah his blessing, but he gives Nehemiah letters for safe passage and all the supplies that he needs to get the job done. So Nehemiah now leaves, and, and this was a big sacrifice for the king. Think about how trusted Nehemiah was. The king is giving up his cupbearer. So now Nehemiah and a crew of Israelites now head to Jerusalem. He leads the Israelites back, they inspect the wall, and they begin to rebuild the wall around David's city. There is, from the moment they arrive, there is ongoing opposition because the people who destroyed the wall, the people groups around Jerusalem, they, the last thing they want is for God's city to be rebuilt. They don't want that wall rebuilt. They don't want the city to be protected. They don't want people to be powerful in the life of, of Jerusalem. And so they are bringing opposition and sieges and, and they are, they're, they're ridiculing. They're doing everything they can to stop the wall. And so there is both building and a protection detail. In fact, at one point in the scripture, it talks about how they were building with a trowel in one hand and their sword in the other. 
That's the, that's the context that they had to rebuild the wall. And I don't, I don't know how many of you have ever seen pictures or if you've been there. We've actually been there and seen it. The wall around the old part of Jerusalem, which is probably a little larger today than it would have been in Nehemiah's time, I mean, it's a pretty significant wall. That's a, that's a, those are big blocks of stone that are, are built into that wall. Here's the thing. It was completed in 52 days. 52 days with constant opposition the wall was built. The people realized when it was done that the task of this magnitude could only have been completed in that time frame with everybody remaining safe if the hand of God was upon them. They recognized the blessing and provision of God. And this is why now they are they are coming to rededicate themselves to God and rededicate their, their lives to Him. They are now out of exile. They are in their homeland. The city wall is repaired. They've rebuilt their homes. They are now back in the city of God where they can worship God and be a free people with King Artaxerxes' blessing. And it could only have happened with God's help. This is the context. Hard work, obedience, and rededication. Now chapter 8, Nehemiah, Ezra, and a whole lot of other people call them to dedication and celebration. Notice the connection in that passage to worship. Now here's the really cool thing. This event, Nehemiah tells us, takes place on the first day of the seventh month. Does anybody know why that is significant? That's actually this time of year. It's actually last week. Because it's Rosh Hashanah. It's the new year. It is a high, holy holiday. So all of this celebration and dedication is taking place on one of the highest holidays, a day of praise, celebration, and worship. So, the experience begins with the reading of the Word of God. As with all other things in life, our alignment to God's plan for leisure comes from his word. And we see that understanding God's word is absolutely critical. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah 8. I'm going to read a portion of that again. If you don't have it, you can just, you can just listen. But look at verses 5 through 8. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them as he opened it. The people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and they worshipped the Lord. The Levites, who are enumerated there, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning 
so that the people could understand what was being read. And so you have all these people standing there with the priests, the Levites, and and Nehemiah, the governor, all standing there reading, taking turns reading the law and, and making sure they're expounding on it so that everybody understands it. Understanding the word of God is critical. Now notice what happens as these people, remember they've been in exile now, they've been separated from the holy city, they've been separated probably from the word of God. Some of them, this might be the first time they've heard it in their lifetime. And now they're hearing the word of God, and look what it says in verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They were overcome. They're hearing the message from their God, and they are overcome. They are convicted, and they begin to weep. Some who maybe are are of an older generation might be weeping for joy because of the restoration. Some who are younger and have not heard this before may be weeping from conviction. But there is a sense of being overwhelmed in this moment. Here's what I want you to understand as you look at this picture of them bowing down and worshiping and weeping and overcome with emotion, real leisure is a part of or even a form of worship. Real leisure, the kind that God desires, is a response to God's word and God's provision. Real leisure in this context, is a product of a covenant relationship with God. And some of these people in Nehemiah's time were understanding this covenant relationship with God probably for the very first time. I I don't know how much was said while they were in exile. But they're hearing it now. This leisure is a response to conviction by the Word of God. And keep in mind that conviction can be both positive and negative. On the negative side, conviction is corrective, but on the positive side, conviction is awe. What's our definition of worship? Worship is reverence, awe, adoration, love, and glory, obedience, faithful obedience. Look at what the people have just done. They are living out our definition. They are in faithful obedience to God. And so Nehemiah lets them know that worship-based leisure, that which they are calling them to, is sacred. It is holy. It is set apart for God's purposes. After all their labors, after recognizing all of God's provision and protection, after hearing God's word, this day now is a day that is set apart to enjoy God and his blessings. What is the chief end of man? To give God glory and to enjoy him forever. And they are now free to do that, some of them for the first time in their lifetime. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And God says, this is sacred. Enjoy it. You know, how many of you have this idea that things that are holy, things that are sacred are boring? 
How many of you think things that are sacred, things that are, are holy are like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I have to do that. But what are, what are Nehemiah and Ezra and, and the Levites telling them? No, no, this, this day is sacred. Go and get some really good food. Go and get some sweet wine. And I love it. They take it one step further and they say, and anybody else that doesn't have enough, anybody else who isn't prepared, invite them into your house and share with them. This is a celebration. This is the definition of godly leisure. And it's in the context of worship and praise to God. The enjoyment is directly tied to God himself. And we cannot forget that. Worship-based leisure includes the enjoyment of food and drink and sharing with others. Remembering it's tied to him, we're actually instructed to enjoy the fruit of God's provision. Think about the Hebrew prayer that is used for every celebration and in some Hebrew homes is used for every meal. Some of you may remember it when we've done the Passover Seder. It goes this way. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, the King of the universe, who gives us, and then you fill in the blank for what you're thanking him for, the fruit of the vine, if it's, if it's wine, or, or the bread of the earth, or the fruit of the earth, or whatever. We're thanking God. We're, we're celebrating God. We're, we're lifting his name on high. We're blessing him for the provision that he has made. We are to enjoy the things that God has given us, and we dare not forget him while we're doing it. Worship-based leisure includes the strength of the Lord. Now, to me, personally, this point is one of the most beautiful things in the whole passage. The literal Hebrew here is, the Lord's joy is your strength. So, Margaret, it's not your joy. It's his joy, and he's handing it to you on this sacred day on a silver platter. It becomes your strength. It doesn't matter what you're facing, Michael. It doesn't matter, because God's saying, no, here, here's my joy for you. The Lord's joy is our strength. In other words, in their covenantal, trusting relationship with God, their protector and their provider, they can receive strength from their enjoyment and celebration. There actually is strength in the celebration itself. God doesn't want us to have, sit around and have a pity party. God doesn't want us to, to remain broken. He wants us to celebrate. And God gives them reason for abundant joy. Worship-based leisure does include stillness. Now, this requires a little bit of explanation because the scripture here is that the word, the phrase there really is to be still or to hold your peace. God's telling them to be quiet. But what's the context? They're weeping and maybe wailing. They're hearing the word of God and some of them are cut to the quick. Some of them are overwhelmed and they're crying, and God is saying, hold your peace. Now, there's more to this. Worship-based leisure includes the release of grief and sorrow. And here's where it all this, the, the beauty of this all comes, you see, because this worship-based leisure is the embodiment of Ecclesiastes 3. Now, that may mean absolutely nothing to some of you, some of you who are a little older may not realize it's Ecclesiastes 3, but if you like the Beatles, you've heard it. Because Ecclesiastes 3 goes this, this way. For everything, there is a season. You could add turn, turn, turn. <laughs> there is a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. 
A time to plant and a time to pluck up what's been planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to rend, a time to sow. A time to keep silence, a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time for war, a time for peace. God is saying, look, you're out of captivity. This is not a time to weep. They are overcome by hearing the word of God, by hearing the law of God. But God himself, speaking through the leaders of Israel, says, yeah, guys, there's a time to weep, but this ain't it. This is a time to celebrate. Go get the good wine. Go get the good food. Go get your friends. Let's celebrate. Let's worship God through leisure. Thanking him for what he has done, what he's provided, and how he has miraculously helped us to, helped us to build this wall around our holy city in 52 days. There is a time for weeping and conviction, but this is not that day. This is not like the sacrifice of praise from Hebrews chapter 13, 15, where we praise God even in the midst of our pain or our sorrow. Instead, here, this is really important. This is actually an invitation by God to release the sorrow to him, to let it go. To let it go. This leisure is a gift by a loving father to his faithful children. Worship-based leisure is rooted in understanding God's word. Notice that everyone involved in the reading of, of the Word of God, uh, was participating. Ezra, Nehemiah, the Levites, all the peoples were standing there actively listening. The Levites went to great strides to make sure that the people understood the Word of God. God's Word is His revelation of Himself to us. God's Word is also His standard raised up among us. God's Word gives permission and takes it away. It tells us, it shows us how we know what is righteous and the things that we should do, permission. And it tells us what is unrighteous, the things that we should not do, permission taken away. God wants his people to live a full life. May I say that to you today? God wants you, as his people, to live a full and enjoyable life. Life. This is not some kind of strange prosperity theology. It is God's heart for every single one of us. But we must define that leisure the way God defines that leisure. Do you understand? See? One that includes working for his purposes, a life that includes Sabbath rest and restoration, one that includes redemption, and is also filled with the enjoyment of godly leisure. Do you see it? You see, worldly leisure has ruined this whole concept for us. People can't grasp it today because the world's definition of leisure doesn't line up with what God has designed. And in eras past, the church has reacted to the world's expression of leisure by throwing the baby out with the bathwater. 
and saying, well, leisure, you know, that's a worldly thing. No, it's not. God thought of it first. <laughs> it's God's idea. We must worship and celebrate and enjoy the life that he has given us. So, let's not let that which has been redefined and tainted by the world ruin the experience for the rest of us. Let's talk about some characteristics of real worshipful leisure. Worshipful leisure, God's design for leisure, is the result of trusting and delighting in God. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 4. That's where we get, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The worshipful leisure that God desires comes from a whole way of life that delights in God. Think about what Father John Davis taught us a few weeks ago. Worship as a whole way of life. Worshipful leisure is a gift to the righteous. Isaiah 3, verses 10 and 11. God makes it clear that he takes care of those who are righteous. Now, again, we've got to go back to a more Jewish definition of righteous. We tend in American Christianity to go all theological on this and say, well, righteousness is a state of being. That is true. I'm not arguing that point. It is absolutely true that when we are in Christ, we are made righteous. It is our state. It, it's, it's how we live. It's how we dwell. But from a Jewish standpoint, they never stop there. They say, if you're truly righteous, then what you do is righteous. Not just who you are, but what you do, how you live. And so it is God's plan that his people can stop and enjoy the fruit of faithful and obedient work. Think back to last week with Bill Mickler. Bishop Bill Mickler talked about what it's like to worship, or as he said, to whistle as you work. Worshipful leisure is part of the covenantal peace that God gives, Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 5, as an expression of God's everlasting love he gives rest and abundance to his children. He lavishes, lavishes this on them, and they will enjoy both God's peace and God's provision. Worshipful leisure is part of the kingdom community. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. The first century church shows us that when all of this is redeemed, God's kingdom community is one that worships together, they serve together, they eat together, and they even enjoy the favor of those around them. Worshipful leisure is always cognizant of God himself. Psalm 106, verses 1 through 5, which was our call to worship today. This is the key. You see... Here's the difference between worldly leisure and godly leisure. The former is self-centered and it forgets about God. The latter is a reflection of a delightful relationship with God. And those two things could not be more diametrically opposed. Worshipful leisure aligns our priorities. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Here Paul tells Timothy to warn the rich people in his church not to put their hope in their money. He says, instead, tell them to find their enjoyment in God and his provision instead of what the world provides. Worshipful leisure 
is the product of obedience. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. And interestingly, this passage points both to obedience to God's commands and also obedience to our earthly parents as God's agents. There's so much more that we could say, but we'll leave it there. Just know this. The chief end of mankind is to worship God and literally to enjoy Him forever. Leisure is a gift of God to us. And as such, it should be a beautiful expression of thanksgiving and worship. Whether you're eating or you're drinking, whatever you do, says Paul, do it to the glory of God. And so my question for you is, does what we've said here today describe your times of leisure? And if not, why not? Let's pray. Jesus, speaking for myself, I want to leisure this way. I want to be impacted heavily by your word. I want to be wowed by your protection and your provision. I want to be blessed by the relationship I have with you and and overwhelmed by your love so that when I stop, my leisure is sacred as expressed by Nehemiah and Ezra in this passage today. Father, I want to live that kind of leisure where even in my times of celebration, where I'm resting and eating and drinking and celebrating with with friends and with family, it is in and of itself an expression of our worship of you. So, Father, I pray for those of us here at Palmwood Church that that's what you would instill in us and that is what we would put on display for the world around us. Put a check in our spirit when we are leisuring in the world's way. Give us a glorious freedom and a sense of confirmation when we are leisuring in your way. And as we do that, may everything we do be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.